You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. We're back here today uh, to continue our discussion about waterfowl harvest estimation, and I'm, I'm happy to, to welcome back in our guest, Dr. Kathy Fleming and Dr. Paul Panning, and we're going to jump right in and pick up with where we, uh, where we left off from the, the previous episode, and at the conclusion of that, we had introduced the harvest inf- information program as a, as a new uh, component of, of waterfowl harvest estimation process. And Paul, I want to give you an opportunity to tell us a bit more about that and why it came about. As early as the 1960s, state and federal biologists uh, recognized the need for national harvest surveys of other migratory game bird species besides waterfowl, primarily doves and woodcock. And they started trying to find a way to get an annual sample frame of people who hunt those other species. But it seemed like it was going to require a federal migratory bird hunting permit, and a number of states were opposed to that. Issuing licenses has always been the state's purview, and although the states uh, supported establishment of the federal duck stamp in the 1930s, they didn't want another exception to the rule. So despite repeated efforts, no progress was made until the late 1980s. By that time, the National Waterfowl Harvest Survey was experiencing problems. The main one was that many post office clerks just plain stopped handing out our name and address cards to duck stamp purchasers. So it became harder and harder to get a large sample of waterfowl hunters in the survey. I recall that uh, uh, 
in the early and mid nineties when I was, when I first started there, we were sending 400,000 uh, name and address cards out to post offices in order to get about 50 or 60,000 of them back. So, so that whole system was just sort of falling apart. Um, so the combination of the need for a survey of other migratory game bird species and the need to shore up the waterfall harvest survey led the states and the Fish and Wildlife Service to a compromise solution. And that was a, a mandatory requirement for migratory bird hunters to register annually as a migratory bird hunter at, at the state level. In every state, they're going to hunt migratory birds. So uh, it's kind of an odd situation. This is required by federal regulation, but it's issued and administered by the individual states. Some states charge a separate fee for it and others don't. But the bottom line is that the states through the Harvest Information Program collect the names and addresses of all the migratory bird hunters in the United States, uh, at least all the ones that have to buy a hunting license. And they provide that to the Fish and Wildlife Service and that's what we use for our sampling frame for the surveys that we conduct now. It's required to have a HIP certification and you know, it's required by the, uh, I guess, by the federal government. Um, and so help me understand how this came about. Yet, you know, the states administer this HIP certification. So what was it that happened that effectively forced the states to do this? And I don't know if forcing the states to do this is the right way of saying it, but what, uh, what was the process by which this became a requirement? Well, it became a requirement through a federal regulation. Now, we would not have been able to put that federal regulation in place if even one of the 49 states, uh, Hawaii is not included in this, if even one of those 49 states had objected to it, we would not have been able to do that. However, all of the states supported it, and so um, we were able to put in place a federal regulation that requires migratory bird hunters to provide their name and address to the state agency. Uh, Kathy, I think we'll move to you now. I have a few questions here related to sort of the modern day implementation of, of harvest estimation. And I think I want to start off with just talking about the collaboration between the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the individual states. And Paul has certainly provided a great segue to that, uh, notice, or noting that it's hand-in-hand -hand cooperation. But I'll ask you to speak a bit more about that collaboration that occurs. Sure. Yeah, the flyways, and when I talk about flyways, I mean like the state agencies that make up the administrative flyways, not the actual physical flyways, um, are an essential partner to us in estimating harvest. Um, obviously, registration for the Harvest Information Program starts at the state agency. We depend on agencies to provide hunter information, obviously, that we use to conduct our survey. And something that Paul didn't mention um, that we'll talk about in, in a little bit, I think, is that state waterfowl biologists are also really important partners when we go to determine the species, age, and sex of wings submitted in the parts collection survey. So we work very closely with the states. Um, not only because they're giving us data, but, you know, we we are providing them with a harvest estimate. In many cases, that's very important to the states to know how many of each species or each type of bird is harvested in their state. Okay, and I think the next uh, thing we want to talk about here is just sort of decomposing the uh, the different components of harvest estimation. I, I think I know we'll get into these in more detail, but when... Uh, 
I think this is really important for our listeners, uh, especially our, our hunters that are key parts of this, to, to be able to see what are the different pieces of the harvest estimation process. So, Kathy, can you touch on those? Yes, um, and it is confusing because there's a lot of different, you know, we're federal government. We like to use a lot of acronyms. So, you know, it's, it's, it is important for people to understand the harvest information program itself is the state component of our harvest surveys. So it's the states that collect the name and address data and provide the registration um, to hunters so that they can legally harvest migratory birds. They send that data to us, and then we use it to sample for our surveys, but our surveys aren't part of HIP. Our surveys are the Migratory Bird Harvest Survey and the Parts Collection Survey. So um, it's it's not really that they're all contained under HIP, but that HIP provides that basic information that we need to conduct those other surveys. So is it fair, big picture, to say there are three primary components? One is HIP, which is where you get the information on, on the, uh, the hunters that you can sample. And then there's, uh, you called it the, what is the? Uh, Migratory Bird Harvest Survey. Migratory yes. Bird Harvest Survey. Is that kind of commonly known as the hunter diary? Is that, is that what it used to be called or still is called? It is. Okay. And then there's the parts collection survey. That's where you send in the wings. And that's also known as the wing survey. Okay. The wing survey. So three components. And I just want to emphasize that so that we can clarify the different pieces here. So, um, So what else do we need to know about those three components there, Kathy? Well, they're all interconnected. So, for example, um, we select a sample of hunters for the migratory bird harvest survey, which is the diary survey. And of those hunters that respond, we use those data to estimate the harvest of, for example, ducks and geese. But then from the responses, we select for the following year another sample of hunters, and we invite them to participate in the parts collection survey. So it's basically the same group of hunters and then we ask those hunters to send us the actual wings or the tail feathers um, from every duck or goose that they shoot. And that information is used to partition out those duck and goose estimates to give us species-specific estimates, like the number of mallards or the number of pintails harvested in each state. In each state. So they're all interconnected. And again, it all gets back to hunters registering and providing us that critical information that we need to sample. So let me let me see if I have this correct. If you if someone is asked to participate in the I'm going to just use the short name, the diary survey during this year, those individuals would then be contacted the following year to ask to participate in the wing survey. So anyone who returns a survey to us could be asked. Not everyone is asked because we don't take a don't take a full sample um, of all the hunters that return the survey. But you could be asked to participate. Um, just through, we'll send you out another letter the next year. And also from time to time, people are asked in the same year to participate in both. And sometimes that gets a little confusing as well. Um, but basically, we sample from the part survey from anyone who returned a survey the previous year. Okay. And you don't get the data if the hunters don't participate. So again, just as we emphasize the importance of returning the bands, recalling in the bands, reporting bands, we want to emphasize the importance of answering these surveys, participating these in these surveys when you when you have an opportunity to do so. It's it's a really neat chance to contribute to 
to the management of the populations that we, we as hunters and conservationists are, are all in, invested in. So, uh, so let's let's talk. I think we want to want to talk about the harvest information program uh, in a fair bit of detail because this is this is the piece that every hunter every year is required to do. As we've talked about, only a sample of hunters. Uh, participate in the diary, sur- diary survey or the the wing survey. Um, I've never participated in the in the wing survey. I've participated in the diary survey, but never the wing survey. But every year, I have to uh, do a HIP certification. So it bears a, uh, some discussion here. So um, tell us uh, a bit more about the HIP certification, Kathy, and that that's the the point of sale. Whenever you're there, you know, buying your license, or I get you can do it online now, but uh, that's the the piece of this that every hunter should be familiar with, and there are probably a lot of questions about. Okay. Well, it is required. It's required of everyone who intends to hunt any kind of migratory game bird. So that includes, in a lot of states, there's not just, you know, your standard waterfowl license, but there's free licenses, there's sportsman's licenses, some um, lifetime licenses. Uh, there are some exceptions. Some states don't require junior hunters or senior hunters to get a hunting license. Um, some of those states might all, might require them um, uh, still to, to register for HIP and some and others don't. So, but for, you know, everyone who is purchasing a license to hunt migratory birds, they must be HIP certified. Okay. And anyone that's gone through this will know that, that there are a series of questions that you are asked. Uh, so uh, just, you know, briefly, we don't have to go through every one of these if you don't want to, but uh, just remind us, remind our listeners what those questions are. Okay. Um, so the first question, the most important one, is do you intend to hunt migratory birds this year? And so that's the one that determines whether or not you have to get HIP certified. If the answer to that is yes, then some follow-up questions are asked. And the hunter is going to be asked if they, um, how many ducks they shot last year, and usually in uh, not necessarily the number, but in, you know, did you shoot a few or none or um, a lot of ducks, how many geese they shot last year, how many doves and woodcock they shot last year. And then they're also asked questions about whether or not they intend to hunt certain species, especially in some states that have permits for those species, like sea ducks or brant um, or sandhill cranes. Um, there's also a couple other, I don't need to go into detail, but there's a couple other questions related to rails and snipe. Um, and coots and gallinules. Okay, I want to I want to draw out something here again. Um, the first question is: Do you intend to hunt migratory birds this year? Right, it's emphasis on this year. And and so if you answer yes, then you're asked about your harvest success the previous year, right? Right, and this is asked as a way to determine. Whether or not you're an avid hunter, or you know you don't hunt all that often, um, or maybe you don't hunt at all that particular species. So it's not necessarily that we need to know exactly how many birds you harvested the previous year, but um, we're using that to determine whether or not you fit into that group of avid hunters or hunters that you know don't hunt quite as much. I want to go to Paul now and ask about the rails, cranes, and doves, and uh, any of the other birds. Why are we, why are we asked about those? I, I, I get that, uh, I get a funny look when, sometimes whenever the, the clerk is asking me these questions. It's, a, it's, 
it's abundantly clear that that person has no idea what a rail uh, is or a coot. And like, what, what is a coot? So why are we asked those questions? <laughs> uh, well, probably the main reason for implementing the HIP was to get a national sample frame for migratory game bird species other than waterfowl. And of course, the most important ones are doves, primarily morning doves, and woodcock. Um, but some of these lesser species, um, uh, it's, it's important to get uh, to have some information on those too, um, if for no other reason than to help us justify the fact that we have hunting seasons on them. Uh, so, so those questions um, help us target the few people that hunt rails and and uh, uh, send them surveys about rail hunting and. Uh, not just have to do a random sample of all three, three, three and a half million migratory bird hunters to try to get uh, uh, to try to get a hit on a, a few rail hunters. Um, the 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 legality part of it, uh, maybe it'd be a good idea for me to uh, use rails as an example. You know, prior to the harvest information program. If if the Fish and Wildlife Service had been challenged on rail hunting, um, uh, you know, justifying rail hunting, the questions might go something like this. Well, how many rails are there? Well, there aren't. We don't have rail surveys. So the answer is, well, I don't know. Uh, how many people hunt rails? Um, I don't know that either. And uh, how many rails are shot every year? Well, we don't know that either. Well, that doesn't give a very solid basis for justifying a rail season that's that lasts 70 days and, and has a bag limit of either 25 or 15, or if you, uh, if you if you combine Virginia Sora and Clapper rails, the combined bag daily bag limit is 40. So um, so now that we have the harvest information program, we know from our surveys that only a few thousand people nationwide hunt rails, and the total harvest of rails is probably less than 20,000 a year. So uh, that makes it a lot easier to justify the kinds of seasons that we have. And that's one of the things that going all the way back to the 60s and, and up until the harvest information program, uh, biologists were somewhat concerned about. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. 
Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation, united by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation, take it outside. Kathy, I want to go back to you now, and we've we've talked in brief already about how our responses to these questions are used. You know, whenever we answer questions about how many birds we harvested the previous year, that's the, that information is used to um, assign us to these different categories of uh, avidity. You know, how avid we are as hunters, and um, actually, why don't you? Uh, why don't you explain why that's important from a survey standpoint, even from a statistical standpoint? Why do we need to know that? How does that help us? Yeah, that is it is important, and it gets to, it gets into more of the statistical aspects of estimating harvest. We're sampling hunters based on how they answer those questions, so we're going to sample them those groups of hunters at different rates. So we'll sample the small group of very active very successful hunters at a high rate, and then the larger group of less successful hunters at a lower rate, and then the group that doesn't hunt at all will sample at a very low rate. And the reason why we do this is because we want to get the most precise harvest estimates we can, but we also don't want to spend you know, a lot of money doing it. We want to be able to be efficient in the way we sample. We're sampling a huge group of people. So um, when we do this, uh, like Paul said, we're not going to be sending out surveys to a million hunters, you know, five or six of whom might have only um, harvested birds. And being able to classify hunters into one of these three groups allows us to sample very efficiently. You said something, Kathy, that I'm uh, I'm not sure I, I knew, and I want to make sure that it is this way and that you didn't misspeak. You said you har- uh, you sample the people that don't harvest anything at a very small uh, at, a, at a very low rate. So does that mean the people that when they're answering the very first question, like did you do you intend to hunt you know waterfowl or migratory birds? If they answer no, you you do sample those that group, or are there three different levels of of, of harvest? Yeah, no, we don't sample from the non-migratory bird hunters. But if you think about it, you know, someone might be a waterfowl hunter, but they're not a dove hunter, right? So we're going to be sampling from that group. They all they said yes that they were going to hunt some type of migratory birds, but for the for each individual group of species that we're surveying, like for waterfowl, um, we do have some hunters in there that might be avid dove hunters, but not avid waterfowl hunters. We're still going to sample from them because, again, just because they did it last year doesn't necessarily mean that they do it, that they're going to do the same thing this year. And we want to make sure that we are certainly sampling from people who didn't hunt last year, but have identified themselves as migratory bird hunters. Okay. So you use their responses to their level of harvest for a particular group of uh, group of species, you know, would be waterfowl or doves from the previous year, <laughs> as a way to partition them out into different sampling frames uh, in some way uh, for participating in these different types of surveys, har- uh, waterfowl and rail and, and doves. Do I understand that correctly? Uh, yeah, that's right. So... 
and and the other thing that maybe I wasn't clear about is that if we sample at a high rate from the active hunters, that's a very small group of hunters. So if we don't sample from them at a higher rate, we're going to have a, a way fewer number of responses in that group. You've, you've, I'm sure you've all heard the old adage, 20% of the hunters shoot 80% of the ducks. And it's the numbers aren't exact, but it's not all that far off. So you'd really like to concentrate much of your survey effort on those people that are shooting a lot of birds so that you get a an accurate and precise estimate of their harvest, first and foremost. The rest of the harvest is important too, but theirs is really important because that's where the rubber hits the road. Yeah, I hope the I hope the listeners realize from this, I'm sure they will, that there's a, a great degree of complexity in this and uh, these uh, – the way this program is is implemented is designed to to maximize our our confidence in the estimates, and it kind of all goes back to uh, statistical pr- principles and advancements we've made in uh, in being able to implement uh, surveys uh, to achieve that. So it can be a bit complicated, but it's all all for a good reason uh, in ensuring efficiency and uh, and, pre- and precision. Kathy, I want to touch on one other uh, sort of common. A misconception we might even say about those hip questions that we're at when we're asked how many birds we harvested last year uh, I know from personal conversations with folks that that some think that those numbers are used to directly estimate the harvest of waterfowl or other birds last year so I'll let you answer this question definitively is that the case no that is not the case so, um, yeah, that is a misconception, and we do get that um, from some hunters that are asked to participate in the survey. Um, as I said, all those questions do is allow us to sample hunters more efficiently by putting them in these different classes of avidity, as you say. Um, it It is not the survey, and, you know, once we get that information, you may receive a follow-up survey and a letter that comes with the survey that explains um, what the actual survey is. Okay. Well, I hope we've answered that uh, that question there. Uh, Paul, something that's happened to me uh, on more than one occasion, I will indicate to the clerk at a point of sale that I'm interested in a HIP certification, and I see the clerk uh, feverishly punching buttons or clicking the mouse, and then the next thing you know, that, that, that clerk will, you know, tell me how much I owe. And I'm almost like, well, wait a minute. I, you didn't give me a chance to answer the questions about whether I intend to hunt migratory birds this year. What, what happened? You said, oh, well, I just, I just clicked no. And of course, I give that clerk a piece of my mind at that time and emphasize the importance of asking me that question. And, and then that person has taken away my opportunity to answer and provide data. Uh, and what should a person do if, if they find themselves, uh, themselves in that situation? Well, um, I, I've been in a situation too, and <laughs> you can imagine mm-hmm. that it didn't roll me when I was chief of harvest surveys. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so I, th- I think a good response is to just tell the clerk to start over and do it right and don't pay for the license until it's done right. Um, my, uh, the way I handle it now is I, I typically hunt waterfowl in several different states and, and uh, every year, and I buy all my licenses online now. Um, you know, if you when you do it online, the, the the questions are asked automatically. There's no question about whether a clerk is entering them correctly or not. Uh, 
So I would encourage all of your listeners, uh, anybody who can, buy your licenses online. It's really convenient. Uh, I do that. Uh, I do that quite often as well, Paul. I've gotten to where I. Um, that's kind of my mode of operation. The other thing that I'll do if I do if if I am at a, at a point of sale, I will tell the the clerk before they start entering the information. I'll indicate that I, I need HIP certification, and I'll add to that immediately. And I want to answer the questions. Ask me the questions. And so in every case, that's uh, they, they've done that. Thankfully, that's good. That's a good idea. I I will say I've had mixed success with just saying, let's start over and do it right. Uh, uh, one place told me to go fly a kite, and another place went ahead and did what I asked. And I would just add to that that it doesn't mean, just because you don't fill out the questions does not mean that you won't get a survey. And what it could possibly mean is that you get put into the wrong category. And so that it ends up not helping us when we're trying to estimate harvest. Now, another question I have for you on HIP certification. Uh, Paul, you mentioned that you hunt in multiple states. I find myself in that in that same situation as well occasionally. Do I need a separate, uh, and, and whether this is Kathy or Paul, maybe Kathy, this is for you. Do I need a separate HIP certification for each state in which uh, I hunt? And, and if so, well, let me just stop there. Do I need a separate HIP certification for each state? Well, yes, you do. Every state that you intend to hunt. Okay. All right. And so then when I'm – so the answer is yes. And when I'm uh, answering that question to the to the clerk, they'll ask, you know, do you intend to hunt migratory birds? And so you know, I'm in that state. My answer is yes. And then they ask me the question of did you, you – know, how many ducks or geese or, or birds of whatever category did you harvest the previous year? Do I answer those questions relative to my harvest in that state or is it overall across all states? Yeah, I would say that you should just um, answer it relative to your harvest in the state in which you're applying. So if you're applying in different states, you might want to answer it differently. Um, I think overall what we're trying to characterize is, uh, you know, the avidity of the hunter, not necessarily exactly how many birds that they hunted the previous year. And the reason for that is because, you know, people hunt differently from year to year. And so it's not a perfect predictor, but you know, to do the best you can, um, I think it, yes, you should use what you, what the harvest was in the state where you're applying for HIP certification um, to answer those questions. If I hunt in multiple states, I have multiple HIP certifications, and then let's say that I'm selected to participate in the survey, do I, uh, do I say I'm, I'm elected or I'm selected to participate in the diary survey? Do I answer that res, uh, with respect to the state tied to that HIP certification, or do I even know that? Yeah, you'll know that because we have it in the letter that we send out, and it's also written on the form, on the survey form itself. So you're asked very explicitly in the letter to only provide your harvest for that state. And the reason why it gets back to the fact that we do estimate harvest separately for each state. So we don't, it, it would not be correct for you to put in all your harvest if you hunted in three states, just because you got the survey for the one state, you know, just, just answer the survey that you get. And then it's written on the top of the survey form. Uh, anything else we need to convey about uh, the harvest information program? Uh, at this at this higher level, I know we're going to get into the the details of how many people do we select, you know, stratifying by state. We have those uh, those things yet to to discuss. But anything else uh, at a higher level? 
Well, I would just emphasize that, you know, we consider hunters to be the most important partner in estimating harvest. And, you know, we can't do it without them. So we know that it's it's a bit onerous for people to have to answer all those questions. It does seem like a little overkill sometimes, but it's for a very good reason. And the data are extremely valuable. And it's not just used, our data are not just used for estimating harvest. There's a lot of interest in, you know, using this information, as I said, at the county level, for example, looking at trends in harvest. And like you mentioned, uh, looking at ways to um, determine how to allocate uh, conservation money, conservation dollars for land acquisition. So, you know, I can't think of anything more important. And, you know, I just want to thank hunters who do participate and urge everyone who gets an invitation in the mail to follow up and send in their survey. It's really important. Absolutely. I echo that. And Kathy, I'll, I will add something to uh, how this the this data is used. Now, this isn't a necessarily formal application of the data, but you and and I and and others across the waterfowl community have worked closely over the past few years to use uh, the harvest data, this county-level harvest data, to help us build a picture of where we uh, build a picture for our conservation planning at the joint venture level, NAWAMP joint venture level. We've had a couple of episodes with Dale Humberg where we talked about NAWAMP and the joint ventures as regional implementation um, arms for the NAWAMP and the conservation planning that occurs at that regional scale. And of course, you know, and have helped us with we've harvest data can in some way serve as a proxy for where these birds are. And uh, kind of similar to the way that you described it's used to help uh, allocate duck stamp dollars or the, the, the proxy that it's serving there. We do the same thing in, in some way or are starting to do the same way with respect to identifying our habitat conservation objectives in support of continental waterfowl populations across um, uh, across the, the landscape that supports the non-breeding birds or birds during the non-breeding season. So all this data has has a number of uses and I absolutely echo your your uh, urging of, of people to participate at a high level um, and provide this data. Yeah, and you know, one other thing um, that maybe is in public not a lot of people are aware of is that in the last, I don't know, like 10 years or so, you know, budgets have been cut for surveying waterfowl distributions in the non-breeding season. So, you know, we used to do a pretty full midwinter survey and a lot of those surveys have been cut back. And so now harvest is becoming, you know, the only proxy for widespread distribution of waterfowl during the non-breeding season. And until those surveys return, I mean, I think it's, you know, people are starting to recognize that it's an important substitute for that, for those aerial surveys or on the ground surveys that they used to conduct. Kathy and Paul, we are at about the half hour mark, maybe a bit over it on this episode, and we're kind of at a good stopping point. We still have remaining some additional questions, and we want to partition that out into a, a separate episode for folks. So let's let's wrap up here, and we will have you back on to do another episode. So thanks again for joining the, the podcast. Thanks for having me. Special thanks to our distinguished guest on today's episode, Dr. Kathy Fleming and Dr. Paul Padding for sharing with us a wealth of knowledge about harvest estimation, how it all worked, and the important role that hunters play in this process. And so we thank you, hunters, for your participation in these surveys, and we encourage you to participate at a high rate, provide all the information that you can. Uh, we thank our producer, Clay Baird, for the, the great work that he does in getting the podcast out to you. 
and our listeners. As always, we thank you for tuning in. We thank you for your support, passion, and commitment to wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside.